On the 14th of June, 1974, a young English boy bought an album by Los Angeles band Sparks and immediately fell in love. He became so unbelievably enamoured by it that he even wrote a letter to music magazine NME. In it, he says, Today I bought the album of the year. I feel I can say this without expecting several letters saying I'm talking rubbish. The album is Kimono My House by Sparks. I bought it on the strength of the single. Every track is brilliant, although I must name Equator, Complaints, Amateur Hour, and Here in Heaven as the best tracks in that order. Stephen Morrissey, 384 Kings Road, Stretford, Manchester. Morrissey would later tell the members of Sparks that they were the key factor in making him pursue music as a career with his band, The Smiths. This scenario was not a rarity, and if you were to begin a list of all the artists influenced by Sparks, you would find yourself actually making a catalogue of some of the 20th century's greatest bands and artists. New Order, Depeche Mode, Bjork, Sonic Youth, The Sex Pistols, Nirvana, all of these artists have publicly credited Sparks as an influence on their music. Sparks' fourth studio album, Propaganda, was released on the 11th of November 1974. It was their most successful album in the US, peaking at number 63 on the Billboard 200, and has been widely lauded as a masterpiece from their fans. It may, however, have had some wind taken out of its sails by Goodnight Vienna, Ringo Starr's fourth solo album, which was released just four days later. Was Ringo Starr's album as influential as Sparks' propaganda? Has it held up some 46 years later? Will our guest this week be able to sit through the entire album? The answer to all of these questions is no. Welcome to When Albums Collide. Welcome to the When Albums Collide podcast. Judd Boaz with you, joined by my co-host Pedro Duran. Pedro, how is lockdown life? Uh, yeah, lockdown life is okay for me, actually. <laughs> you know, I'm, you, you know me, I'm pretty much a homebody, so I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty adaptable. I've been keeping myself occupied with, uh, doing this and that. And, um, everything is, is, um, ready to be ordered food, alcohol and such. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm adapting pretty well. How about you? I'm doing well. We've got a guest joining us, a very special guest this week that apparently, has been doing okay in lockdown because they're not from our shores. They're not from native shores, as it were. Um, would you like to introduce our guest? Yes, yes. Our guest is a very funny comedian. I'm a fan of uh, the podcast that she's in. One, one of the pod, uh, podcasts that she's uh, involved with is This American Irish Life. Catherine Henson, coming all the way from the big city, New York City. Catherine, how are you? I, I heard you guys both just say, I'm doing okay. And my first thought was, how dare you? How dare both of you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm offended. I'm, I'm fine. I am alive. I'm here. And that, that's full of energy. Let's put it like that. Yeah, full of energy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Nowhere to put it. I'm very glad to say it. Um, You've been trapped in Australia due to this plague that is ravaging the nation. Um, And in that time, I think you've gotten married and uh, slowly lost piece by piece of your sanity. 
uh, like a Victorian novel. How's uh, how's how's life treating you though? Uh, can you can you not wait to go back to the the windy city, the city of angels, as they like to call it? Um, it wait, the city well, New of York isn't, isn't a windy city. I, yeah, that's Chicago. No, no, no. I think I think I'm correct here. I think I'm correct here. Okay, you know what? Whatever. You know, up is down, right is left. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Sure, the windy city, New York, the Lone Star State. Incidentally, I'm not even going there. I'm flying to the UK, where you know that government is open. And I'm I'm very excited to go be open and roll the dice with Corona. Um, truly, uh, after after six months sort of being fully stagnant. Um, how did you ask me how I'm taking care of myself? Well, let me, Catherine. Let me ask you. So you, from my understanding, you came out for a comedy festival, right? And then just this COVID thing happened, and then you just ended up basically being stuck and stuck in Melbourne. Exactly. I came out to do a few festivals. And like, while I was here, my flight got canceled. My now husband also was coming out here to do festivals. And as things were like, the festivals were canceling and my flight was canceled at the time, he and I were not married. He's Irish and I'm obviously American. And we kind of were looking Mm -hmm. at what the best, course of action would be because at that time America had closed their borders to the UK and he was in London where I had just flown from and I was like just take your plane take your plane ride like come to Australia because we both can't go to America and it didn't look like I was going to be able to get a flight back to the UK for any reasonable amount of money so we were like you'll just take your flight we'll ride it out it'll be fine and then you know obviously it was not fine um <laughs> As a result, we ended up getting married because we were going to do it anyway uh, in August at the Fringe this year. Oh, Obviously, that congratulations! Happen. Yeah, thank you. You know, it was it was it was a good wedding. You know, uh, five people were there, and it was wrapped up by nine p.m. So I feel good about that. Bit of a rage, array. Yeah, no, it really was. <laughs> there was more ketamine than you know my body could handle, and um, every, there were people puking by like eight thirty. Hmm. So I felt pretty. There was more ketamine than Seabiscuit's body could handle. There, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We all know why Seabiscuit died. I guess it, it was my wedding. So yeah, it's been an experience. You know, it was it was fine, and now it's like definitely not as fine. But you know, what are you gonna do? It's it's a weird story. So you got that. You know what will cheer you up, Catherine? Um, forcing you to listen to a Ringo Starr solo album, which is what we did this week. We compared Sparks' Propaganda with Ringo Starr's Goodnight Vienna. Catherine, I want to pitch you a question because this was an album that you suggested. What is your history with Sparks and what is your history with Mr. Ringo Starr? Well, so Sparks, you, you know that question that, I mean, maybe it's a typical question. Maybe it isn't. If you could listen, to, like take one band and, and their whole collection to an island, what would it be? And I'm pretty sure mine is Sparks. And and uh I just love weird glam art rock. Like it was honestly between like a Sparks album and a Roxy Music album or another Sparks album. Like I thought about this very seriously. I've loved Sparks forever. They, I just, I, I find them just super weird. It's two brothers. One has a Hitler mustache. Why? I don't know. And mm-hmm. um, they were like famous in England, but I think come out of Los Angeles. And uh, I don't know. I just relate to that. The weird art vibe. Uh, big fan. Big fan of most of what Sparks does. And what about Ringo Starr? Do you have any history with him? Any run-ins? Not everybody's favorite Beatle. You know, pretty much everybody's <laughs> favorite Beatle. 
<laughs> you know, I was like, I, yeah, I mean, I know Ringo Starr. He he was great on that um, Children of the Revolution, T-Rex's Children of the Revolution in that music video. That's a great video. It's like Mark Bolin, Elton John, Ringo Starr is there. You know, he obviously is the least of the three. I could I could leave Ringo Starr you know, on the side of a highway, and I'd be fine with that. (laughs) (laughs) He's one of the unloved toys of that era, for sure. Pedro, what about you? Any knowledge of Sparks? Any knowledge of Mr. Richard Starkley or or Ringo Starr? I mean, uh, as far as Sparks, I've I've never heard of them until this week um, uh, in preparation for for this episode. Um, But it was an interesting avenue going down and, you know, doing the research and... um, learning about them and, and, and whatnot. And they've been around for, for a very long time, uh, which is super crazy. And it was interesting too, um, as you were saying, Catherine, that they're an American band, but they've seen a lot more success in the UK than in the United States. So I thought that was super interesting. And then as far as Ringo, I mean, I mean, the guy's a Beatle, you know what I mean? So um, just through pop culture uh, op- op- osmosis, you've known – um, I've, I've known who Ringo Starr is, but if I had to credit one thing, um, specifically, Catherine, I don't know. Are you familiar? Do you remember in the nineties, it was a, a, a animated TV show called Animaniacs. Are you familiar with that? I show? know. Yeah. I know Animaniacs. Hell yeah. 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 So Animaniacs, uh, Judd, I don't know if you know, but it was like animated TV show. They made fun of like a lot of Hollywood stuff, but there's a character on that show named Wacko. And he has a Liverpool accent and um, the the voice actor, Jess Harnell, you know, in an interview, I saw that he said that he modeled his voice after Ringo Starr's. Tallahassee, Florida and Washington, D.C., Santa Fe, New Mexico and Nashville, Tennessee. Elvis used to hang out there a lot, you know. Um, even as a kid, I was kind of like, oh, OK, well, who's Ringo Starr? And then, you know, growing up, you're like. Oh, he's a beetle and stuff like that, and um, and all these things. So that's uh, that's what I would credit to my first uh, encounter with Ringo. So for people in Australia and the UK, where we know Ringo Starr from is not from Animaniacs, but this show called Thomas the Tank Engine, in which he was the narrator for it, and he is wildly successful, widely known for that. Every day, the fat controller came to the station to catch his train. Hello, he always said to Thomas. Remember, don't be impatient. Um, and also, I guess he was part of this like baby boomer band in the 60s full of old fogies that made music. I never really heard of them. Uh, as for Sparks, I never really got into glam rock or anything like Roxy Music or Slade or Wizard. Or I just, it, it sort of passed me by. Um, Gary Glitter, although he's forgotten for slightly different reasons than the other bands are forgotten for. Um, so this was a, a, certainly a, a journey. Uh, into it. As you mentioned, it's two brothers that make up Sparks. It's uh, Ron and Russell Mayle, M- Mayle? I, I, I don't know how to say it, um, and formed in Los Angeles in 1967. But as we mentioned, UK was really their home where they found a lot of success because glam rock was really big over there. This album, Propaganda, came out on the 11th of November 1974, just four days before Goodnight Vienna came out, and it was produced by the hilariously named guy Muff Winwood, which is a hell of a name. <laughs> Sounds like a poor name. <laughs> it certainly does. Uh, this album came out really, really quickly after their last album. Their last album, Kimono My House, which was wildly successful, came out in May, and now it's November, and they already have another album. And rather than this just being outtakes or offcuts, this album was allegedly written while they were on tour for Kimono My House. 
And so that's why the album sounds very similar to that previous album, to the extent that Adrian Fisher, the guitarist they hired for their previous album, also wrote the guitar parts for this. And then they fired him and used his guitar parts. Pretty brutal. In any case, Mm. um, this is uh, quite the monumental album. Let's dive into it with the track by track. It opens up, title track, propaganda, it's like 24 seconds long, and I thought, oh boy, what have I gotten myself (laughs) into listening to this? Mm -hmm. Catherine, you you put on propaganda, this is the first, the opening, you know, notes of it, what are you thinking? I mean, I, well, this is not the first spark, I started with Kimono My House, so I was like ready for what this was, you know, and um, so I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm like 24 seconds, you know? But I, I, it left me wanting more, you know? 24 seconds is not a long song. How how old were you when you got into Sparks? Was it something like as a teenager or was it later in I life? I think, I want to say I really got into Sparks probably my first year, or t- second year in New York. So I was probably 18. Yeah, I just, it was just an immediate, because all those glam rock bands you named, I love them, including Gary Glitter, you know? He pedophile with a song that's called do you want to touch me i mean there's never been a better joke written i think that's crazy so like glam has always been just mm-hmm. something i found i it, it just spoke to me so was it like the the not just the music but was it like the aesthetic that appealed to you I mean, I like the aesthetic. I'm into it. Yeah, I like the flashy stuff. But really, it's it is definitely like more just the music. It's like it's like rock and roll, but like with a twist. It and Sparks specifically is very they're very clever in their lyrics, and I find them very like yeah. smart. Yeah. So I really enjoy that because they're silly and clever, but they're saying something. So I really appreciate that mm-hmm. about them specifically, just because I'm like, oh, there's more to this than like, even like Slade, who I love, but you know, they're just like, they're a rock and roll band on the road, you know, and, and fucking bitches drinking beers. But Sparks is kind of like, we're weird and I feel weird. So maybe that's why. <laughs> yeah. Pedro, I mean, you hear this 24 second, essentially a hip hop skit of, of what yeah. you can expect from the album. What are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, like I was saying, I've never heard of this band prior to this week. So going in, it was just kind of like, all right, let's, let's see what we're going to get into. Yeah, it was interesting. I thought it was maybe influenced by Bohemian Rhapsody, but it turns out this came out prior to that Queen album. So I wonder if uh, Queen was actually influenced by oh, this. Oh, there's, there's no if. There's no if about it. Like, oh, how do they just 100%? Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I, I, I thought it was super interesting. I wasn't um, deterred by it because, you know, I've heard sounds like this before. Yeah, I was ready to see what was uh, what was up next. So, so the actual opening track, At Home, At Work, At Play. And Pedro, you have to forgive me. I know we're friends, but I'm going to snitch on you right now, okay? Catherine... Earlier today, we were talking about it, and uh, I hadn't listened to the albums yet, and uh, Pedro messaged me, and he's, I was like, oh, is this the album we listen to Propaganda? Yeah, cool. And he said to me, good luck. I've started, and I had to take a break. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's true, yeah. That's that's how I feel about the Ringo Starr album. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like... But I was listening to it, and at home, at work, at play, and Pedro, you may have mentioned, oh, I don't know, once or twice on the podcast that you like the UK rock band The Darkness. Yes. 
there's some bands that replicate the sound now, like the Darkness. I love the Darkness, and they replicate the I sound. Can't be- I can't believe you like the Darkness. I do. As far as American bands, then other like British bands, like I love the Darkness. You know. <laughs> I don't know. It just thought it was a funny thing. It reminded me of the darkness in that song. I bring up the darkness all the time yeah, on this like a ten, ten times an episode. <laughs> I thought this would be right up your alley. This is so characteristic of those sort of songs, the falsetto, everything. By the way, I think this is a bitchin' song. I like this came on and I'm like, uh oh, I think I love this album already. Yeah. At home, at work, at play. What do you guys think? It's I, I love it. So, okay, I did get I I probably should have said this when you were like, How do you relate to Sparks? I got to see them once. Um, but they did not have a band with them. It was just like the brothers. So it was all really, you know, uh downplayed, except they killed it on this song. And also, I don't know, randomly, that was the night I ended up in jail. So I don't know if the two things are related because this song is bitching. Like mm. I love it. it. It's a great song. Yeah, definitely. Uh it, it's funny that you um uh you mentioned that uh mentioned the darkness, Judd, because I do love the darkness. Yeah, it's interesting. Well uh, the first time I've listened to this album this past week maybe four times because that's just how I prep for the show or whatever. The first time it was like, okay, what am I getting myself into and things like that as you go through and go through again and again i think i had a better appreciation for it maybe the third and the fourth time in regard to this song i mean i do like the opening guitar as you were saying Catherine, earlier like once you decipher the lyrics you do understand they are a lot more clever than a typical rock song or something on ringo's album that we'll we'll get into it but yeah I, i i thought it was um once you start di- dissecting it, I thought it was uh, a lot more interesting than it led on to be in the initial listen. So, you know, things like, I mean, this song's what? It's about like a, a woman that's like super busy, right? For this guy. So, um, you know, he think, has things like you got to catch her while she's at home. You got to catch her while she's at work. It's a different way of approaching that subject that isn't necessarily done um, traditionally. Before, I, I do want to get to Ringo Starr's album. It deserves it. Good night, Vienna. But um, Catherine, you know we can't like let you get away with saying you got arrested on the night of seeing Sparks without talking a little bit about it. Did you dive on stage and try touch one of them? Or I just, I, I was with it. Actually, at the time, it was his, that's his favorite song, At Home, At Work, At Play, my the boyfriend. Um, we just got drunk and didn't eat and then uh, got into a fight on the subway because <laughs> I said I thought animals have feelings and he was wasted and and and, uh, and very upset with me and and then like you, you Pedro I don't know if you've been to New York because I know you're your brothers with Christian Duran another a very funny comedian like you know sometimes you're 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 on the train and then people like to insert themselves so a girl actually ended up agreeing with me which only enraged my boyfriend because you know me and some strange woman at 2.30 in the morning are like high-fiving, saying animals have feelings. <laughs> and we ended up getting into an argument when we got home. And um, he said that I was as bad as George W. Bush. And I slapped him. And then he kicked a wall in. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And so then he kicked a wall in. But I was drunk. So I called the police, which I'm like, why would I ever do that? Especially now, you know, knowing every. But I was younger then. Huge mistake. Never call the cops. No matter what. Like, I could be being murdered. I would never call the police again. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, that's where I'm at on police now. And it ended up being a pretty wild fucking ride from there. You know, we both went to jail. Uh, (laughs) We both went to Central Booking in Brooklyn. 
And, you know, I was well received in jail because I'm funny. So I'm, you know, just made some people laugh and they were like, you know, why in? And I said, I slapped my boyfriend. I've seen Orange is the New Black. I understand. Exactly. Yeah. And they were, you know, I was like, well, I slapped my boyfriend and, you know, I made friends. They were like, you want us to take care of him for you? And I'm like, no, you know, he can, he can remain alive. That's fine. (laughs) It was a pretty weird journey because we were two people who had never had priors and you start really learning how um, crazy the legal system is. And we are white. And we had a pretty fucking wild ride. Our relationship did not last, but the dealing with the court uh, w- went beyond the relationship. Yeah. Did you wow. start fighting because you flashed your tits at Russell Mayle on stage, or like what? Yeah. Was, well, that, you was know, that the reason? He flashed his tits, and I was like, "You go get him. <laughs> yeah. You go get him, because we're going to be broken up in three months. So you go." And if they'll take you, I don't want you anymore. It was a, it was a crazy night though, but I've never se- I've never then actually like that has what has punctuated me seeing Sparks. I've never got to actually like see them, and they are like probably my favorite band. I probably should have led with that. This was not not always my favorite album, and it took me a while to decide which one I wanted to like bring to the table here. And like Pedro got an email from me where I was like, look, it's between these two. You know, I was like, I can't even decide. And then I sent him like the the album cover, which I think is my one of my favorite album covers I've ever seen. It's just, it's the two brothers uh, tied with their hands behind their back and a gag in the back of a speedboat on, on the ocean, you know, which is like visibly in motion. And I just think it's so fucking awesome. I, I love it. I love, you know, I think what really got me in the album was the song Reinforcements, which is like after at home at work at play, you know, big hard on for it. I think it's I think it's great. I hope you ended up liking it, like after listening to it, even if it's not like your thing. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, like I said, like initially it was a thing of like, OK, um, I don't know what 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 we're doing. And then eventually particularly comparing both albums i've softened up on it i think i mean and not to make this all about me but i am a comedian and that's what we do i personally have had a better time with my career in england as well so especially now when i've been like trapped in a place and i like need some comfort i listen to this album and i think one day i'll go back to a place where they appreciate me where i can like make my art you know and i know that sounds good (laughs) you know i'm just clinging to anything at this point as i want to say let's stop disrespecting sir Richard Starkey, he has earned our respect. We finally get to his album, Goodnight Vienna. All right, title track, Goodnight Vienna comes on. I put it on. And I'm thinking, like, hell yeah, man, this is actually good. Like, Ringo wrote this? Like, man, this is going to be great. Like, I can breeze through this album. I I should have known better. This song was written by John Lennon, not Ringo Starr. And as a matter of fact, Ringo only writes, like, three songs on this whole album, and most of them are covers anyway. But he has an all-star cast because, hey, who wouldn't want to write a song on a Beatles solo album? You got Billy Preston, the original Black Beatle. Sorry, Ray Shremard. You got Elton John, Harry Nielsen, John Lennon. Like, he has got all of his friends on this one. Uh, What did you think of Goodnight Vienna, the song itself? For me, like, okay, so I started it and I was like, okay, this isn't that bad. And then as I was listening to it, I was like, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored. And then I got to the song. It Mm -hmm. has a weird name. Well, I can't remember what the name is. It like Coochie Coo or something. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Ocapella. Well, but then I, but then you know, because I then looked it up because I'm like, I want to know why this is so scattered because it doesn't, it doesn't feel cohesive mm-hmm. to me, you know. And then I read that like on his, you know, first 
release as a solo release. He had all the Beatles on there and that was like critically acclaimed. And then only one of the other Beatles, you know, John Lennon did anything for him this time. And then, yeah, Elton John. Elton John was the guy who wrote the song I actually liked. And then a lot of the other shit, I was like, this is fucking boring or a cover and it's not a good cover. So I don't care. And I got bored and I didn't finish the album. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Hey, at least we appreciate honesty here. No, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Pedro, what did you think of the opening track? I bet the opening track. Yeah, I mean, I that's the thing. I did like it. And um, even though it is very like a traditional pop rock song. um, But I think as Catherine points out, you you come to like I went once I find out like John Lennon wrote this. I was like, oh, well. That's probably a massive reason as to why it's um, pretty digestible. And as we go on with this album, because the first initial run, I was like, yeah, this is a kind of a easy listen to. But then I realized why is it why it's such an easy listen to? Because he has some of the best uh, artists, whether it be Elton John, you know, John Lennon, um, you know, Bernie Taupin and, you know, and just and a bunch of others contributing to this album then it's just like, well, it's almost like the Avengers of a, 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 a of rock. You know what I mean? He's bringing the best people on to uh, promote his stuff or to, to, to push his stuff. And um, I know he gets shit on a lot and it seems unfair, but generally anytime there's a decent moment on the album, he didn't do it. It wasn't him. He's a cheater. He's cheating. And look, the bottom line is this. You still got to be a fucking Beatle, okay? Most of us didn't get to do that. In fact, four people got to do that. That's it. And he was one of them. You're not the best Beatle. And and he knows it. We know it. Everybody knows it. And now you're just trying to fake fake it through this quote-unquote solo album. That's not a solo album. You know what I mean? That's like... That's like when Bono got everybody the fuck together and made that album for like, what was it AIDS? I don't even remember, but it's, it's cheating. It's, it's like, this isn't really his album, but who gives a fuck? You know, it's not for me. I'm not going to yeah. do it. The next song on Propaganda, one of your favorite tracks, Reinforcement. Did you know, guys, Reinforcements is actually the name of the Sparks fan club on Facebook, which has about 671 members or so. Oh. It's a very tight knit community. And guess what? I'm now a member of that community. Yeah, I signed up for this episode. You better believe I did. did. You? Yeah, I did. Oh, yeah. So I posted in the group. I was like, hey, guys, I run a music podcast. Uh, I really love, like, has anyone listened to Propaganda before? Do you guys have some thoughts on it? And I got a hell of a response. People were, like, pouring their hearts out. Do you mind if I read some? Shall we take a deep dive into Reinforcements, the Sparks fan club? Yeah, do it. Dan Herman writes, yes, I have both experiences and memories of the album. One of the most memorable aspects is that it appeared only six months after Kimono My House, which I thought was the best album I'd ever heard. Propaganda was twice as good. In a stretch of Sparks activity when nearly every album was packed with fantastic songs, this had the most numerous superb ones on one album. Much as I loved it back then, I still didn't understand it fully as a teenager. I still think that with all the great work they would go on to do, Propaganda and Number One in Heaven are the two greatest Sparks albums. Thank you so much, Dan. Then Deborah Colleen Black chimed in. She said, This was the very first album by Sparks that I ever bought, way back in 1974. I still have this album, and I may well not be exaggerating to say I've played it one million times since then. I was completely bedazzled and mesmerized by it. The album is now firmly imprinted on my soul. From the unexpected opening a cappella track to the concluding masterpiece, the album is just sublime. This is rock music like no other. It just doesn't sound like anyone except Sparks. And Ron Mayle's witty, insightful, strangely beautiful lyrics are, dare I say it, 
practically Shakespearean in scope. There ought to be a monument somewhere to this album because it is monumental. Oh. And finally, just quickly, Chris Broughton said, my second favourite Sparks album after Indiscreet, but sometimes I think it might actually be their best. Reinforcements is my eight-year-old daughter's favourite Sparks oh. song. Like, I love everything about this fan group I, right now. I, okay, I, I don't know if it's because I have so little joy in my life right now, but I was I started feeling emotional <laughs> as you read all of that. I felt, well, how lovely. And everybody's like 500 years old on that, so they all have like, well, oh. well come on. I mean, if you bought the album in It's so like 46 years ago, 46 years ago, and you still have it, and you've played in it. Like, that is so nice. Like, I'm going to have to agree because Reinforcements is an excellent song. Reinforcements is so yeah. Good. Now I see what you're doing. We're going track by track, album to album, and I totally interrupted. Like, yeah, okay. that's that's sorry. Right. No, it's it's so well, fine. It's so fine. No, I haven't so had. Cool. I, I've seen six people in as many months as I've been here, which is six. So it's like I'm sorry, but reinforcements is really what got me into this album. I, you know, because I I tend to not always be an album listener, and with Sparks, I am. Like Sparks and Roxy Music are like the two that I always listen from front to back. And like, but when I was like a kid, I heard reinforcements and it just, I, it, it just felt like a part of my life, like a time in my life. Yeah, I, I did enjoy reinforcements. I like um, how the songs frame when it's talking about, you know, this um, marital dispute, but he, he does it like as if like it's a military conflict, which I, I thought that was a, a, a dope concept to, uh, to take lyrics like... I was like, well, who's Denise? I wonder if that was. Would you happen to know Catherine? Like, you're you're more of a fan. Would you, did they he date somebody named Denise or something? Is this actually more personal than just a song that he penned? Or I don't know who Denise is, but I can tell you that that line and Denise is one of the reasons. So, like back in New York, one my day job before all this happened was I was a manager at a BDSM dungeon, and we had to have fake names, and I chose Denise. Really, they had that much impact. On I you. love them. I love this band. <laughs> this sort of felt like, you, you know, I don't know. It gave me this weird comfort that I needed during these times when I continue to date people that I shouldn't be breaking up with, you know? It's not romantic music. I think there's more, even like, even in glam rock, there's more romantic music, but it has a sort of like whimsical nature to it. You know, it it's crazy. Like, like I listened to the next song too, BC, right? And I couldn't believe these guys are from Los Angeles. Like, I couldn't believe... The way they sing, the way they talk, how verbose they are, I'm like, they're 100% from, like, London or maybe Manchester or something. There is no way they're American. But they but they are American. Yeah. And because all these, like, British bands copied them, like, I think Queen owes a heavy, heavy legal debt to Sparks, I was shocked they're an American band. And like you were saying earlier, Catherine, like, your career, you've had more success in, in the UK... I'm going to ask this to you as two American people. What do you think it is that resonates more in the UK about this kind of music than maybe back in back at home in the States? That's a that's a super interesting question. I think I think the United States is actually a really conservative place in a lot of ways, um, whether it be like politics or culture. So when something is out of the norm or something is maybe could be a little bit weird, it doesn't really um, vibe with mainstream uh, American pop culture. Um, whereas the UK just, I mean, being overseas, living overseas and stuff, I think UK and Europe and even Australia has a little more tolerance for something being a little more quirky, whether it be in their comedy or their music. Yeah. That's uh, that's how I kind of interpret it as. 
I, I would agree with him. Um, and I, I would just speak from my own personal experience. Like, I guess, like, like I sort of mentioned earlier, like my comedy is I was surprised to see the the type of response I got in the UK because it's far different than what I even get in New York. And I'm weird. I'm weird and I'm dark. And it's almost like in the UK, like, you know, British people are so buttoned up that almost they thrive on the weird and, and the dark, you know, in terms of, I guess, comedy or music or something. I don't know if that's like a sweeping generalization, but it's like, yeah, like with audiences for me in America, you know, I'm in like San Francisco and I'm telling my jokes and, you know, in like what is supposed to be this open, like, you know, hippy dippy, very liberal place. And nobody's laughing because I guess they're so afraid for me mm-hmm. or afraid in general. that I'm <laughs> like, yeah, like towing a line. I don't really understand it, but I find that for whatever reason uh, in the UK, people seem more open, even though like they're not like loud like americans are if that makes sense which is totally fair and it's like why i mean i can understand why ringo Starr's album well it went gold went to number eight on the charts but it wasn't wildly successful it's because it's really tame like the next two songs acapella and ooh wee it's i don't think these songs were that bad it's like this bluesy rock and roll which i know they were really inspired by the beatles ringo gets shit on a lot for his drumming like famously John Lennon was asked, is Ringo Starr the best drummer in the world? And he said, he's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. Ha ha ha. Also, thanks a lot, Dick. You're supposed to be my friend. But also, I thought the drumming on the track was really great. And I assume Ringo did all the drumming on this album. But it is very safe. Like, you compare, they came out, what, four or five days apart? They are wildly different in terms of ambition, in terms of pushing the boundaries of what music is. Uh, in 1974, you have to imagine it was way more conservative. Um, and maybe Ringo had a mainstream appeal that he wanted to stick to, but wildly different. What did you think about uh, acapella and ooh It's kind of what you said. It's just very digestible and it's very boring. And I think people like that because it makes them feel comfortable and safe and, and not challenged in whatever their life is. I hate to say it, but it's like, in my experience, a lot of people don't like they set up whatever they think their life should be and even if they're unhappy in it they don't want to challenge like the idea of what else is out there they, they just don't do that and I feel like that's what this album is it's just safe it's safe your mom can listen to it your dad can listen to it and it's not going to offend anybody except me because I'm bored yeah that's the key word it, it is safe well, these two tracks um I find it to be like it's nothing extraordinary you know and this is where um I mean, I wrote down, like, this is where propaganda edges edges it out. We're going to take a pause for the cause. We'll be back with more When Albums Collide after this. Next Level Sketch. Next Level Sketch. The Next Level Sketch podcast is a new all-sketch comedy podcast from London's Next Level Sketch. Whether you like sketch comedy, or you just hate non-recorded live comedy, there's bound to be something here for you. Subscribe to the Next Level Sketch podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Anchor FM, or go to nextlevelsketch.com podcast.
We're back on When Albums Collide. I've clearly been drinking, and we are reviewing Sparks' Propaganda and Goodnight Vienna by the one and only Ringo Starr. Both came out in 1974. Continuing on with two another great two songs on Sparks' album, Thanks But No Thanks and Don't Leave Me Alone With Her. You know what was interesting? This is like a very early album to be having these very emo titles, like Fall Out Boy would have these titles like This Ain't A Scene, It's An Arms Race, or Panic At The Discos, Lying Is The Most Fun A Girl Can Have Without Taking Her Clothes Off. These long, extended storylines in the song titles, which I love, by the way. The songs are great, Russell is singing them, and his falsetto is all over the place. Like, thanks but no thanks, he is just throwing these high notes around, and the hooks are so infectious, to the point of being, like, demented. It's like he had a riddle in prescription that he didn't fill, and he's just going all over the place with this. It is, um, these are, these are quite two songs. Don't leave me alone with her. I think it's just, it's so great, because I just, you get the full visual of just, like, not, you, I'm, I'm going to do something, but I don't want to with her. I, I, I thought it was, uh, I, I got the impression it was like more about like a domineering woman, right? Like someone, did you guys get the sense if that it was just lust that was taking him over or this woman was just like so in his face and just telling him what to do and, and all these things that that's why he didn't want to be left alone with her? Well, you know, I think it, he, they refer to her as a Hitler wearing heels. So yeah, I would say domineering, but it's like... Mm-hmm. Coming yeah. from a guy that has a fucking Hitler mustache, that's rich talk. I know it's very yeah. funny. Um, it's very funny. I got it's. It's such a good. I. I it's such a good song. I. I, I feel like I, I. I get. I'm too excited about the album. I, I. I would not be make a great music critic. I like know what's good and I know what's not, and I know this is great. And this song is really. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> no, I just when it hit, it hits the part like the chorus where it's like, "Don't leave me," like you know what I mean. You're just like, "Yeah," like it gets in my head. And which is, you know, a weird thing to say. Because I was going to say, like, why should we let one person dominate who can wear that mustache, you know? Like, eventually people should be able to grow their fucking mustache in that certain way. Charlie Chaplin did it right. (laughs) Michael Jordan did it for a very brief problematic period. You know, like, they have, like, slut walk and we're trying to take back the word because we shouldn't be slut shaming. Why can't we have a fucking Hitler mustache grow month where everyone grows it back? Like, this is so unfair that this one German dude who was Austrian just stole this mustache (laughs) and ruined it and ruined it for men for the next fucking 500 years. That ain't fair. Well, listen, Judd. I think if you're really passionate about it, I think you should start the movement. No, someone no else. Problem. Someone else can start it. I'm just saying. No, I don't want to start it. Coming soon, so you can start it up. Yeah, and if you're gonna do it, I think this is the year to do it. You know, <laughs> really, 2020. I mean, I was thinking about with the song, uh, like "Don't Leave Me Alone with Her" and the and the themes. I was wondering if Catherine, if any of these lyrics. Um, maybe uh, brought you back to those. I mean, you say you manage uh, a dominatrix place. Is am, am I right about that? <laughs> a dominatrix place. Yeah, no, like it. This I managed a dungeon, um, but like I don't. You know, I didn't. I don't wear any of the outfits. I don't do any of this stuff. You know, I show up looking like a normal person. You're you're spending most of your time in an Excel spreadsheet. Is what yes. you're doing. That's as sexy as it paperwork. Gets. Yeah, exactly. But this this. It gives me more of the vibe of a guy who's married to a woman that he hates, you know, who is perhaps Mm. domineering, you know what I mean? Or I could like see like a woman who keeps like coming after him, you know, and he's either going to like give in or he he, like hates her. 
Yeah, it's interesting because these these guys are both extremely private. Like, no one even knows if they're married or what their spouse situation is. Like, no one has ever known anything about that. Very, they keep to themselves, these two brothers, uh, Ron and Russell. But, I mean, you compare it with another, like, sort of marriage, quote-unquote, song with Ringo Starr when he covers Roger Miller's next song, Husband and Wives. Holy shit. As soon as the opening, like, two notes of this song came on... I was like, nope, no thank you. You could Ringo, please. You can keep this. I, no thank you. I, I don't want any part of this. This is one of the most sappy, awful songs that I've heard in a long, long time. And also, Ringo's not a good vocalist. He's a drummer, so he can't yeah. pull it off. So, Catherine, what did you think about Husband and Wives? What do I think about Husband and Wives? You mean the the, the song, the Ringo Starr song? The famous Ringo Wait. Starr song that everyone knows. Yeah, it's just, it all starts sounding the same to me. And I was wondering, like, when I told you guys the album I wanted to listen to, if to, like, another person, you know, propaganda would just all sound the same, you know? But for, to me, it doesn't. And for me, like, the Ringo Starr album, it's just, like, Aside from like the song written by Elton John and the title song, I'm like, these could be the same exact song over and over and over again. And I wouldn't even fucking know it. And that's how I feel about it. I'm just like, it's it's a song that I could go the rest of my life and never hear again. And it wouldn't matter to me. I, I get it. But I would say I would say it did like spark the Sparks album. Like I was like, yeah, some of this some of this sort of sounds the same. Like some of this all runs together. I thought all of the Ringo Starr songs were a little bit unique in that they were uniquely bad. Um, <laughs> so that's that's something it had going for it. Like the next song. Snookaroo, which is actually, like, I was like, oh, we're back on track. You got, it's like very clearly an Elton John, I want to say, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road era Elton John with Bernie. And they're jamming out. He's got the piano line. I'm like, yeah, 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 we're back. We're back. And then it just falls off a cliff again. But like Snookaroo, that was like one of the things like, okay, I can, I can listen to this. Well, and that's the, that's the thing. Like when that, when Snookaroo came on, I was like, yeah, like I'm immediately drawn to it. And Elton John is someone that I love. You know, obviously he's got the glam kind of stuff going on and you know has done so many different things in his career i fucking love elton john he's a maniac he's one of my favorites you know and it's just funny how i found myself immediately drawn to that song and only that song and then once the next song started i was like i'm done with the album i was like i'm done i I heard the one song It was it was an Elton John song, and I know that I I don't I don't even care about the rest. I looked at how many tracks were on it, and I was like, I'm not doing this. And I feel bad because I know I have time. <laughs> I know I guess I know that wasn't I I could have lied. I could have lied to you guys and tried to like play it off, like I did do it, but I didn't do it. And I know I have the time to do it, but I still didn't do it. And that's how bored I was by it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I just couldn't even though I have all the time in the world, I still value that time. And I, didn't want to use, I just didn't want to use that time to listen to this album because I felt like it was a cheater's album. It's fine. I will <laughs> defer to Pedro for most of the, the tracks coming up after this. But Pedro, very quickly, uh, what did you think of Snookaroo? Is it, did you like it? Did you hate it? No, I, I actually did like it. But I think the a massive reason as to why I like this is because it sounds like an Elton John song and it probably would have been better with Elton John on it because I... I think he's just a better singer than than Ringo Starr. But um, yeah, this was um, a nice pick me up in the middle of the album because, um, like I said, I haven't listened to this album ever before. But um, 
when this came on, I was like, oh, this is this is pretty good, pretty dope. It's up tempo. It's a happy song. It's a good use of the horns and the strings. But um, yeah, I thought I thought I thought this was a standout of the album. Uh, yeah, so I, I will say this in that, you know, Elton John gave him this song. Elton and Bernie gave him this song. No musician, and I assume the same is for comedians, no comedians or musicians ever give away material that they think right. is actually really, really good. They're going to keep it for themselves. So it's like an, it's an outtake, right? An offcut. And that's what it sounds like. The next two songs, All By Myself and Call Me. Guess what, Catherine? You didn't fucking miss much because they're not great. Um, nothing doing for me. By the way, this album... Good, Good Night Vienna is like the height of Ringo's solo career. This and his self-titled album the previous year. Following on from this, he has a string of about five or six critically panned albums, and he attributed this downturn to his not taking enough interest in the music. He said that himself and his friends, such as Harry Nilsson and Keith Moon of The Who, we weren't musicians dabbling in drugs and alcohol, we were junkies that dabbled in music. Um, mm. And that's, that's why he said like they were just complete off the rails, completely like rich, famous, doing drugs, doing alcohol, doing alcohol, and just <laughs> yeah, they couldn't control themselves. And they were a part of this this famous drinking club that Alice Cooper set up in Hollywood in the seventies called the Hollywood Vampires. I don't know if you've heard about it. And they just go out, get totally blitzed every single night. He obviously wasn't taking music as his first priority. It shows because all by myself and call me, they sound like shit. Yeah, well, and I guess, you know, I hear that and I'm like, okay, you know, yeah, well, Fleetwood Mac snorted all of the cocaine and they still made great music, you know, so did Elton John. So I'm I'm just kind of <laughs> like, look, like Ringo Starr is still Ringo Starr. He was never meant to be a solo artist. You know what I'm saying? Like he didn't, he's saying he doesn't give a shit. He doesn't give a shit. He wasn't going to give a shit. If he did, he would have made a good album. You know what I mean? Even in spite of like, you know, drugs and alcohol and this and that, because, you know, most rock stars did that that shit. And a lot of them made good music anyway, you know, in spite of it. Let's get back to Sparks, yeah. shall we? And I've just had a message, like literally as we've been speaking, from Reinforcements, the official Sparks fan community on Facebook. Kim Peterson said, This album was my favorite, my number one. I bought it when I was 15 years old, and I'm 61 now. I love it. People who like Sparks <laughs> are like, at least, you know, I feel like they know what they like and they're hardcore about that. And I respect that. You know what I mean? They don't. Yeah. All, all 671 of you. They're all in. <laughs> the next two songs, never turn your back on mother earth oh. and something for girls with everything. Yes. Like these are, so never turn your back on mother earth was, I think the lead single in the UK. Yes. Very important. And something mm-hmm. for girls with everything. I thought at this point I was like, okay, the falsetto, it does get a little bit much. And the reason for this, and like every song has falsetto out the ass, is that Ron of the brothers, Ron and Russell, writes 95% of the music and he dictates exactly how it's going to go. He says, I want these lyrics in it, so you better get all of these lyrics in the song. And he talks about it, one of their hit songs from a prior album, This Town Ain't Big Enough for the Both of Us, he says, It was written in A, and by God, it will be sung in A. Hell yeah. I just feel that if you're coming up with most of the music, then you have an idea of where it's going to go. And no singer is going to get in my way. Very (laughs) domestic, abusive relationship here. Like, I've written these songs, and you will sing them as I have written. And so as a result, they are super high-pitched because he's writing them in, in that key. There is a lot of falsetto. Like it, this is at the point for me, an uninitiated Sparks listener, where I was like, "It's a bit much for me." But I assume, Catherine, you love these songs. I do, and it sounds like, I mean, from what you read, that mustache, you know, really took on its <laughs> for for real. 
I love both of these songs. I think Never Turn Your Back on Mother Earth is so scary. It's so scary. And I think it, it's cre- it, it feels so ominous and real. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, hello, coronavirus. Yo, there's another song. There's another song on this album that is very yeah, coronavirus. Yeah. 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 yeah there's definitely another <laughs> yeah. one. Uh, what did you think of these two songs, Pedro? I really do like uh, the guitar solo and the bridge, and I really thought the the message the message was good. I mean, that's like I was saying before earlier in the show. the 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 edge that this album has is that the the topics and the themes that it goes into are a lot better than this Ringo Starr album. But I have to agree with you, Judd, when this song particularly. Um, the way he's delivering his uh, the lyrics, I just found it, I found it really hard to decipher what he was saying. The next song, Ringo Starr, and I know you didn't get this far, Catherine, <laughs> so you'll just have to enjoy the no-no song. Oh boy! Huh. First of all, it had some real disco vibes, and but I thought this is so Ringo Starr. This is a page out of Yellow Submarine, Octopus's Garden. In this song, Catherine and listener. He is talking about how he's offered all of this stuff, like Colombian marijuana and Spanish cocaine, and he says, no, no, because he doesn't do that stuff anymore. Bullshit, he doesn't do that stuff anymore. Ringo was high off his tits when he wrote this song. I know for a fact. Don't lie to me, Ringo. I know you were sniffing cocaine. This was crazy. Like, the sound effects of him sniffing cocaine and smoking weed. Yeah. Pedro, what did you think of the No-No song? Yeah, uh, it's funny because I actually thought this was a fun fun song because it was so so uh, tongue-in-cheek and it didn't really take itself seriously. Of course, like, I, I bet this guy's high as shit <laughs> while he's writing this and he's probably high as shit now. But, um, yeah, I thought it was a fun song. But I also, it, it, it goes back to the theme of the songs that I particularly like or the songs that might be just actually just good on the album are songs that are contributed have contributions from other people because I was going through the research and it says that when he performs the song, you know, he had people come on like Billy Preston playing keyboards, um, Harry Nielsen, um, Peter Frampton, you know, so it just uh, it, it kind of goes to show that um, he's at his best. Ringo's at his best when other people are um, prompting him up there. Um, and, and the next song, Only You, it's a cover of a classic by The Platters. And so when you cover a classic, you're never going to do it better. Um, so it's just like filling up the album. Yeah. This is, as Pedro would say, they had a record deal and we need, you know, 13 songs for this album. You better fill it up. So he just did a cover. If you contrast it with Sparks Propaganda, Sparks wrote this album on tour because they were burning with so much creative energy. Like, we're on tour and we don't have to work any, but we want to. We want to record another album five months after our last album because we're just so, like, we have so many ideas and stuff. Sure, it sounds a lot like Kimono, the previous album, but there's a reason for it because they're just in this period of, of creativity. Well, one of the reasons I really like Sparks is, like, you know, they evolve musically. And so, so, you know, with that said, I know we're just talking about this one album, but like why I would choose them if I was stranded on a desert island, because, you know, they've made dance records and they've made more operatic shit. And they, even their earlier stuff was even a little more like, you know, raw, like rock and roll as opposed to this big sounds. God, as you can see, I don't work for Rolling Stone. That's my big, (laughs) big sounds. 
Yeah, Catherine, it's it's funny you mention that because they were so they were always so worried throughout their career, Sparks, of being seen as like dated or past it. So after they have their little UK phase, they're like teenage heartthrobs, whatever. They go back to the LA and they change their sound. Like they adopt this West Coast Californian sound because mm-hmm. they don't want to be dated. And then when that once they drop that, they team up with Giorgio Moroto, a very famous yes. electronic artist, oh. and they start doing like disco and techno. And then they drop that and they move on to like art pop and all this stuff. And then. I mean, they had an album this year. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Sparks released an album in 2020, in May of this year. Um, but they teamed up with artists like Franz Ferdinand and stuff. So they're always on the move. Like, whether it's a fear of being irrelevant or a fear of being stagnant, they have that. Yeah. Ringo Starr does not have that no. fear. Ringo Starr is just looking to pay his Coke dealer, <laughs> you know, do his best. So the next song, Archu. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. a song about an airborne pandemic, yeah. which we can't, we can't really relate to. Like, it's hard for us to relate to. Some elements of this song, like the opening verse, I'm like, this song is very similar to music that was coming out of the UK in the mid-2000s. Like, you could release this song on mainstream radio in 2006, and it it would sound fine. Which is, you can't say for a lot of songs, 30 years after they're used by date. I'm thinking, like, the Kaiser Chiefs, the Fratellis, Franz Ferdinand, who they teamed up with, they took a lot of crib notes from that sort of art-pop sound of this Archu. And it sounds great. The ending is really fucking obnoxious with the Archu sound effects. Yes. But this song at the start is really good. Like, Archu is a good song. And this was the lead single in the US. I didn't know that. That's interesting. And apparently, you know, the pandemic's leading in the U.S. too. So, you know, (laughs) look at that. They (laughs) They predicted the future. Yeah, I just like what what you said just about relevancy, though. Like, I don't know. I do. I I, I think I appreciate that uh, because I'm personally scared of losing touch as I get older. And just like, you know. Do you know what TikTok is, Catherine? I, I know what it is. I don't. <laughs> okay, good. Okay. I don't know how to use it. I tried and I failed. And I'm okay with that, you know? Uh, Catherine, have you ever dabbed before? I don't know. <laughs> this is going to be on a recording. I don't know what a dab is. Uh, <laughs> do you know Do you know what a what WAP is? Wait, wait. It's an acronym for wet ass pussy. Yes, WAP. yeah, I've heard of that because I was alarmed because as far as I knew, that was a, a racial slur towards Italians. But we, you know, <laughs> re-engineered that. Oh, yeah. We re-engineered that. And I'm, I think that's a good thing. You know, it's like, why can't we have the Hitler mustache? It's 2020. We're taking back the Hitler mustache. <laughs> We're taking back WAP. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's interesting that you say like that they don't want to lose the relevancy because like I'm not going to say every every album Sparks made was a winner, but the fact that they gave it a fucking shot to try new things and and continue expanding their themselves and being open, like I I really appreciate that. I don't know if artists even want to do that anymore, you know? Well, we're still on the Sparks album with Who Don't Like Kids. Which is, is this a song about, like, not having kids? Like, being a, being a, like, a bachelor or, a, or I guess a spinster without kids? Is that what it is? I mean, I think... I'm not sure. I think it's about not liking kids. I think it's, like, it's kind of, like... Yeah, it's yeah. A tr- it's sort of about the trope of having children and not really w- wanting that. That's what I think. Like, it's, like, people have kids because they, you know, it keeps them relevant almost i guess if we're talking about relevancy like that's what i got and it doesn't 
Yeah, I don't think I don't think it's pro kids. I think it's more about people having kids. Yeah, yeah, it it but like the the musically itself, it has this like it has this is like classic Sparks. Like if I was going to show someone a song, spoiler alert, I will. This is the song because it has this like baroque falsetto, and then it has this really grungy guitar, which is like such a such a weird mix. And I can see like oh, Kurt Cobain, he obviously stole a lot of guitar from this because it's very similar to a lot of grunge music. But Pedro, what did you think about this song? Yeah, I mean, uh, at this point in the album, this is when I'm, I, I start kind of tuning out. It's just this song didn't necessarily stand out to me at all. The only thing I can really um, note was that there is a part where they have actual kids like singing along and they say like, who don't like kids? Who don't like kids? And I, I just never really liked that. In, in music, the if the the point of the song was to make the audience irritated by the sound of children, then it, it's done its job. We're gonna wrap things up on this Ringo Starr album. There's nothing really much to say. He does a song from his good friend uh, Harry Nilsson, who's part of that drinking club in Hollywood called Easy for Me. Pedro, I don't know about you, but I crack the shits here. This was for me. This is like I can't. No, I'm done. No, this is not one of Harry Nilsson's strongest songs, and Ringo couldn't pull it off vocally, even if he wanted to. So it's not for me. Right. And thankfully, Ringo has at least the good sense about him to just finish it with a reprise of Goodnight Vienna. Um, and he just, you know, thanks for the assist, John, at the end. Uh, but what did you think of the closing to Goodnight Vienna? Yeah, with uh, Easy For Me, I agree. I thought it was mu- very much like a sleeper track. Um, um, uh, it was actually making me fall asleep. This was almost like a throwback to some Ray Charles ballad and probably would have fare better with Ray Charles actually singing on it because he has the better vocal range to um, perform it. And then with Goodnight Vienna, I mean, it's a reprise again. So I think it was in his best interest to start the song with the, start the album, excuse me, with a song written by Lennon and then finish it with a song written by Lennon as well. (laughs) You know, his much more talented best friend. Just all around more successful. Like he was more successful dead than Ringo Starr was alive. Hey, hey. Wait, I'm sorry. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? <laughs> Where's the lie? Yeah, okay. And then on the Sparks album, the as Deborah Colleen Black, one of my favorite people in the universe right now, said, a concluding masterpiece, Bon Voyage. What did you guys think? It's beautiful. It's be- This is the one about Noah's Ark, right? Yeah. But it's kind of, again, not exactly about Noah's Ark. It's a little more sinister and twisted. But it's it's so... It's a nice cap to the end of everything. I think it's very, it's very pretty. No, it's all good. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was a, a great way to finish the song as well. I mean, it goes back to what we were saying uh, before, and it's a theme that is prevalent throughout the whole album. Um, they have really interesting concepts um, for for their songs. So the idea of um, someone, um, uh, I guess, narrating from the perspective of not being. Uh, of being left off Noah's mm-hmm. Ark, you you never think about something like that, you know. Um, and yeah, it's it, it's it's funny, and in your words, Catherine, is also sinister to think about um, that person's impending doom because mm-hmm. <laughs> we all know how that story ends. But um, yeah, I thought it was a uh, 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 super interesting concept. That's it for both albums on the track by track. Let's take it to the breakdown. Catherine, I'm going to pitch to you to answer the very difficult question of why is this Sparks album so damn good and why is this Ringo Starr album so damn bad? 
the theme throughout this for the Ringo Starr album being bad is just like he didn't this isn't even his album. Okay, so there's no cohesive anything and uh, it's boring. And the parts that aren't boring are written by two superstars and then Harry Nilsson. For me, the Sparks album, why? It, I think it's good. I mean, it pushes boundaries. I mean, there weren't a lot of, I, I think there weren't a lot and there still aren't a lot of albums or artists that do what they did. There's nobody copying it. There's people, you know, drawing from it from inspiration who, you know, like you said, Kurt Cobain, Queen, you know, Motley Crue loved them. I mean, all sorts of people took from this. And I feel like if you're inspiring that many people to make all their different types of art, like that says a lot in itself for, for what they do and what this album is. And plus it's just, the, the lyrics are great. I've always been a lyrics person. I know not everybody is, but smart, interesting people. And apparently, you know, one, it might be Hitler incarnate. We don't know. <laughs> That's always interesting. <laughs> Pedro, uh, why do you think one album appeals to you? And why do you think one album sort of doesn't appeal to you? I mean, you hated That's the Sparks album well, too. So. <laughs> no, it's not like I want to say much. I hated it. Like I said, it, it's, it's not exactly when it, going into it, I just, um, I was apprehensive to it, but what I'll say about it is, you know, I've never heard of them before. So I had to, it, it took me a couple of times to, um, go through and actually appreciate it. The music is great. I think if I just, if there was an, just an instrumental album, uh, if you took the vocals out, I'll appreciate it, um, the first time around. But that, with that said, because the criticism I have is that it's a delivery of the lyrics. I, I think the album it's it's, it's, it's you know, it's charming. It's it's clever in its topics. It could be highly appreciated if you just are able to decipher decipher the lyrics. Because I think sometimes the delivery of them um, it can be a little uh, difficult to interpret, especially for uh, ears that aren't uh, necessarily accustomed to to his voice. And then, in, as far as Ringo. To answer your question, why I guess it appealed for me the first time I listened to it, well, it's because you know it, it's very traditional. Like we were saying before, it's very digestible. It's very easy. It also helps that he has a lot of talented people writing the songs, contributing, whether it be Lennon or Elton John or uh, Harry and all these things. But if you actually do listen to it over and over again, I mean, he's a Beatle, so he... Uh, he probably has to straddle the medium. He doesn't do anything extraordinary in the album. It's a middle of the road rock pop album with the help of a lot of other talented, maybe even more talented musicians. We always like to end things by asking you to choose a song from both albums that you enjoyed or maybe that you think embodies the albums. You only listened to 0.5 maybe of Ringo <laughs> Starr's album, but if you could choose a song from each album, what would you choose? Um, I mean, I don't think this embodies the album, but I'm going to choose Snookeroo because that's the song I liked and Elton John wrote it. Um, so if you want to listen to somebody who's going to make you feel something that isn't boredom during an album, listen to Elton John. But man, I don't know. Choosing a spark song from that album, I think I think at home, at work, at play, but I don't. reinforcements is what got me into it, you know? And I think for me, maybe it's reinforcements just because it, it's, has that vibe, which I guess we talked about a few times, of having like an underlying kind of, uh, you know, sinister kind of darkness, even though like the the song doesn't sound like that, you know? Like a lot of the topics are a little more 
off color or whatever, or a little like dark. And I think reinforcements kind of starts with that idea. So maybe that one. Yeah, off um, Ringo Starr's Good Night Vienna. Um, man, Snookaroo is going to be my first choice, but um, I'm going to have to pick the No No song just because. Yeah, I mean, it's a fun song. It's very tongue in cheek. It's super silly. It doesn't take itself too seriously. Out of an album that is kind of um, plain and flavorless, I guess it has a little dash of spice into it. So that's what I'm going to, I'm going to recommend that. And then as far as sparks is propaganda, I think I'll choose, you know, I'm, I'm going to choose that chew uh, just because of um, relevancy to what's happening today. And also because it's indicative because for the rest of the album, because it, do, it deals with an interesting topic an interesting subject matter, but it does it in an unconventional way despite the annoying achus that crescendo at the end of the song. <laughs> okay, you took both of mine, you son of a bitch. So I'm going to go with Ringo Starr. <laughs> hey, do you like John Lennon? Do you wish John Lennon wrote more songs? Hey, it turned out he did. He wrote them for Ringo Starr. <laughs> One of them is called Goodnight Vienna. Listen to it. You, that's as good as I can get for that album. And then for, i tell you what, Honestly, for, for Sparks on Propaganda, at home, at work, at play, it's like the first actual song and it just kicks you in the teeth and you're like, it's already a, a done deal. I like this album. Like, this album kicks ass. I can tell. Hell of an album. Loved it. By the way, n- now we, we've covered all of that. Uh, Catherine, we know you're leaving our, our fair shores, which we're very sad about, um, <laughs> to go back to the, well, to go to the UK, actually. But before you do, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell us a little bit about your, where we can find you online, your presence, and a little bit about your podcast. Yes. Oh, God. About me? Well, I'm from Reno, Nevada. So if you needed an explanation for all of this. that there, there The littlest is. big city in the world, <laughs> am I right? Biggest little city in the world. You're very close. Damn it. Yep. You know, prostitution's legal, and I used to get my hair cut in a casino as a child. So it really shapes who you are. Um, (laughs) But if you would like to find any of my content, if that's what you can call what I'm producing these days, it's it's on the internet. Uh, You can find me on Instagram at ewgirlunasty. That's spelled E-W, girl, you nasty. And I have a podcast with my... This is so crazy to say. My husband, who I guess I'm married now, not I guess, I am legally binding by the country, Australia. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and and so we have a podcast that, you know, um, was about traveling and doing comedy and also being in a relationship and is now, well, has more recently just been about um, sitting around doing fuck all in Melbourne, Australia. And that's interesting in itself but it's called This American Irish Life. That's a good one. And I have another one. Yeah, we haven't recorded for a minute, but it's called Somewhat Scientific, and it's a podcast about science and also not. But nobody wants to hear anything to do with that right now, so we're, we're on a little break. But we got episodes that are on the internet if you want to check it out. We're going to wrap things up here on the show. Thanks so much for being on, Catherine, and we'll see you all next week. See ya. Bye. See ya. Peace and love. Peace and love. Peace and love.